This is Pastor Hal Mayer bringing you another vital message to help you understand the times in which we live, so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Dear friends, our study this month is a vital one. It is again centered on the words of Jesus found in Matthew 24, 6 through 8. Last month we began this study on wars and rumors of wars, in which we discovered the incredible news that Al-Qaeda has already forward-deployed nuclear weapons into the United States in preparation for what Osama bin Laden calls his American Hiroshima. He plans to destroy up to nine cities with nuclear devices that will kill hundreds of thousands of people. Since that time, I have uncovered more on the coming wars, including war with China, Russia, and other rogue nations. But before we begin, let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for having such love for your people that you warned them of their danger and of the coming catastrophe. It is comforting to know that you have everything in your control and that all bad things happen only with your permission. As we consider these things, may we seek a closer and more earnest relationship with Jesus our Savior and Deliverer. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now let us turn to Jesus' words in Matthew 24, 6-8. Jesus said, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Then in verse 8 he says, All these are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, human war is only the prelude to what is coming from supernatural forces. The earthquake and tsunami in Asia last year are a glimpse of it, but only a small glimpse. Next month, we are going to look at what life was like before and during the flood, so that we can understand the wickedness that led to the destruction of the world. The powerful catastrophe that engulfed the world back then is a fitting example of what is coming upon the world under the judgments of God when the angels pour out the plagues on our world. There are serious things coming upon this world in punishment for its rebellion against the God of heaven, but we will have to wait for that next month. War is something that many of us don't think of in real terms. We think of it as a conflict in some distant place that really doesn't affect us. Most of us can remember some wars, such as the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the war in Kosovo, or in recent years, other wars that continue to plague this world. By the way, the war in Kosovo was called a peacekeeping mission. Well, if a nation or a group of nations have to keep the peace, that gives you an enormous clue that there is a war going on. Even World War II seems distant, because the current generation is disconnected with its effects. The prosperity of the Western world and the conflicts in more remote areas left many with the mentality that, well, it can't happen where I live. 
Even the terrorist attacks on American interests were mostly overseas. Then came September 11 with its direct uh, terrorist attacks on America's centers of power. For a brief period, Americans, at least, were sensitized to the fact that at least terrorism had directly affected their lives. Though there are reminders every day of the danger through dramatic curtailment of their personal liberties, many still have the funny notion that aside from occasional disruptions from smaller terrorist attacks, America will not see war on its own soil of any consequence. Let me speak plainly to my fellow Americans for a moment. We are afraid to face the reality of prophecy, aren't we? Do we hope that perhaps it won't happen in our lifetime or that by not thinking about it we will somehow delay or prevent the inevitability of a major attack on the only remaining superpower of prophecy? Do we somehow think that the military superiority of the United States will protect our homes and families from destruction that will afflict the rest of our nation? This rather inane mentality is only going to make the crisis even a greater surprise and more devastating because we are unprepared. But now let me speak plainly to all of us, and especially to Seventh-day Adventist listeners. Do we somehow think that we have more time to follow God's clearly revealed counsel? and get our lives, our homes, and our families right with God? Do we think that we can delay preparation for the crisis by continuing to live like Jesus isn't coming for a long time? Can we continue to ignore the signs of the times that tell us that the crisis is very near? Perhaps we anxiously listen to the news items and take comfort in the fact that these horrible things aren't going to happen to us anytime soon. Perhaps we are asleep in our sins, and the Holy Spirit cannot speak to us plainly, so as to warn us about our obsession with money, houses, lands, cars, and jobs. Listen to the words of Jesus from Mark 10, 29, and 30. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life." Do we really need something to scare us before we take the necessary steps to align our lives with God and His direct counsel? Do we need something to directly affect us, like damage our homes or affect our health or empty our wallet, before we take notice that we are nearing the crisis? My dear friends, God has given us ample warning. He has shown us plainly what is to come. He has told us openly what to do. But God's people mock the prophet. They ignore the instruction and blindly follow their friends in pursuing worldly advantages, while the danger steals upon them quietly, 
silently. How about you? Are you taking Jesus' words seriously? Are you studying the Bible and spirit of prophecy carefully so that you know what to do? Are you taking time each day to build a solid, unshakable relationship with Jesus? These are things that must happen before the crisis comes. It can't happen then. There won't be time. But it is worse than that. You won't have the spiritual structure in your soul to manage the crisis internally, spiritually. You won't have the strength of faith and experience in in practice, in clinging to Jesus that will allow you to hold on through the crisis. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. This leads us to our subject for today. You remember from last month that Al-Qaeda is planning a nuclear attack on the United States. Those of our listeners in other countries should not take comfort that it is likely to happen in the U.S. It is likely to happen in other places as well. For example, Britain recognizes the danger. They're taking steps to do at least what they can to prevent such an attack from taking place in their land. Britain, according to the New York Times on August 12, 2005, is starting to deport anyone that they think is a threat to national security. At least 10 foreigners have been seized, and deportation proceedings have already begun. I will read from the report. The 10 detainees were said by one of his lawyers to include Abu Qatada, who has been described by a European investigator as the spiritual ambassador of al-Qaeda in Europe and an inspiration for Mohammed Atta, one of the September 11, 2001 hijackers in the United States. Britain has already jailed or restricted a number of Muslim clerics. That is the term for Islamic pastors. A militant cleric named Omar Bakri, Mohammed, had no doubt suspected that something like this would happen and left Britain for Beirut, Lebanon on what he called a vacation, but admitted that he would not return to Britain except as a tourist. Britain banned him from returning, reported the New York Times on August 13, 2005, because his presence, and I quote, is not conducive to the public good, end quote. Mr. Bakri is known for his incendiary anti-Western sermons, stated the Times. Other people were seized in Britain when they refused to cooperate with the police after the failed July 21 attacks in London. The circumstances of our national security have changed, said Mr. Clark, the Home Secretary. It is vital that we act against those who threaten it. Ten of the people detained were being held without charges at the time of the article. Now, there are several issues related to this article. First... It is important to note that those being deported are a threat to national security. Making this kind of statement moves their treatment and their case into the realm of secret processes. The public will know only what the government wants them to know for security reasons. Please note that another reason why people are banned or deported from Britain is that their presence is not, and I quote, conducive to the public good. Close quote. 
Apparently, the public good has taken precedence over freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is limited to that which is within the widely recognized public good. Could this concept eventually be used against those who preach the truth? Also, in the war on terror, detainees are held on the basis of suspected links to terrorists or suspected activities, but are not charged with a crime. This legal maneuver has become commonplace in the war on terror. Right now in Britain, you can imagine what non-Muslims think when they see a Muslim. Is he a terrorist? Planning a bomb on some public facility? The suspicion and worry can easily create a very unstable environment for Muslims who do not believe in terrorism. Imagine what they must think when they are always looked upon with suspicion or concern by others. How would you feel if your every move was being watched? Get ready for it. Your love for the Sabbath and your loyalty to Jesus will create the same kind of circumstances in the near future. After the attacks in London, the BBC on July 20, 2005, reported that Mr. Blair, the Prime Minister, said, The mood now is different. People do not talk of scaremongering. In other words, when there is a real terrorist attack, people are far more willing to give up their rights and freedoms in the name of security. And governments can move ahead unhindered in making laws and implementing policies that will restrict even their own citizens from doing that which is newly considered to be unacceptable behavior. When the Sabbath becomes the center of attention, when it becomes the test of your faith, your unyielding stand for the Sabbath will likely be seen as undermining national security because it will be Sabbath keepers that will be blamed for the acts of God in natural disasters and the destruction of large cities. When your faith becomes the focus of unacceptable behavior, what do you think will happen to you? You may well be detained without charges on the suspicion that you are undermining national security or because you are participating in unacceptable behavior. If you are a foreigner, you may well be deported. If you are just a regular citizen, you will be under suspicion everywhere you go. And this is not a pleasant environment. Those of you who receive the CD version of our monthly sermons Remember that last month in our Liberty Update, we mentioned a development in Britain in which Tony Blair, Britain's Prime Minister, is taking steps to create laws that will make it illegal to preach or write certain types of messages, particularly messages that glorify, prepare for, or incite acts of terrorism, even if these acts are done outside of Britain. The new policies include closing down mosques, which are Islamic churches or houses of worship, as well as deporting those who preach or teach unacceptable messages. I intend to draw up a list of unacceptable behaviors which would fall into this, said Mr. Blair. For example, preaching, running websites, 
or writing articles which are intended to foment or provoke terrorism, reported the BBC on July 20, 2005. I'm quoting again now from the New York Times, August 6, 2005. Mr. Blair said Britain planned to broaden the grounds for deportation to include fostering hatred, advocating violence to further a person's beliefs, or justifying or validating such violence. He also said that a global list was being drawn up of people whose activities or views pose a threat to Britain's security. These rather ambiguous terms are intended to prevent Muslim clerics from preaching the kinds of messages that foster terrorism, but perhaps an unintended side effect will be to stifle other types of preaching, such as sermons on the true biblical Antichrist, because they might be construed as inciting hatred. No doubt it is not unintended with Satan. He is setting this all up. He is staging it so that when the time comes, the people of Britain and other nations will already be conditioned to go along with a perceived threat to their national security and will easily believe the allegations that will be made against those of God's true people who will stand on Bible truth. Mr. Blair, according to the Times, wants to apply the new laws, quote, to naturalize citizens engaged in extremism and making the procedures simpler and more effective, close quote. What that means, we do not yet know. However, it does mean that the British people are going to know that anyone labeled extreme is to be feared and treated as an illegal. It probably means that the process for criminalizing those outside the law will be faster and more powerful. Just the mere allegation of extremism will likely create an unstable environment for those who uphold God's law and His truth. Does that sound impossible? Mark my words. These laws will come to the United States, too, and to many other countries of the world. Many of them are already being implemented quietly in Europe and other countries. How soon will these same laws be used against regular citizens as well as naturalized citizens? Will you one day be labeled as an extremist because your Bible beliefs are not accepted by the mainstream church? If you teach Bible prophecy and the Sabbath the way it really is, do you think you will be labeled as an extremist by many of your fellow believers? The war on terror is also a war on God's truth in disguise. No matter how much the public focus is on the terrorists, it is increasingly clear that the methods, procedures, laws, and policies that are being implemented now to fight terrorism will be a perfect fit when matched against God's people in the final conflict. We have to look beyond the immediate and through prophecy to see the future. The scripture says in Revelation 13:15 through 17, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. If God's people are going to be killed because they refuse the mark of the beast, which is Sunday worship, 
there has to be a legal mechanism and a justice system infrastructure to do it. Now, verses 16 and 17. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. If no one can buy or sell, that does not have the mark of the beast, there again must be a system by which to prevent buying and selling by God's people. That system, that infrastructure and legal system is being established to fight the terrorists. Most people have no clue that it will one day come in very handy when the devil turns the focus of all that governmental machinery against God's people. The public is being conditioned to react in certain ways to key words used in the press or by government leaders. When the timing is right, rest assured that the things that are happening to Muslim clerics will also happen to God's true preachers of righteousness. My friends, we don't have much time left. Now let us come back to Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is largely responsible for creating the growing environment where governments can take more control of their citizens. Al-Qaeda's enormous resources are being used through terrorism to bring a new arrangement of politics in the developed world so that prophecy can be fulfilled. The devil has found a useful ally. To not take these steps against radical Islam would be irresponsible of government leaders. But the backside of it is that these same laws, procedures, and policies will one day be used against God's people who say and do that which before was acceptable but is now unacceptable behavior, or who are no longer conducive to the public good, as Tony Blair put it. Mr. Blair further stated, we know that this fringe of extremists does not truly represent Islam, the New York Times reported. It will be very easy to label people as extreme, ban their books and websites, close their churches, and detain those that preach Bible truth and prophecy and uphold the Sabbath once they've been sufficiently villainized. Al-Qaeda plans to attack Western nations that do not yield to their demands. This, of course, could include many more countries than the United States. But let me quote to you what people who are in a position to know say about the nuclear threat from terrorist organizations like Al-Qaeda. I'm quoting from worldnetdaily.com, August 11, 2005. In the 2004 presidential debate, President Bush and Senator John Kerry both agreed on one thing that the possibility of nuclear terrorism was the single most serious threat to the U.S. national security. Former CIA Director George Tenet said, Al-Qaeda continues to pursue its strategic goal of obtaining nuclear weapons. While his successor, Porter Goss said it may only be a matter of time before Al-Qaeda or another group attempts to use chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear devices. FBI Director Bob Mueller said, 
intelligence continues to show Al-Qaeda's clear intention to obtain and ultimately use some form of chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear material in its attacks against the United States. A CIA counterterrorism center expert said, Al-Qaeda probably has access to nuclear expertise and facilities, and there is the real possibility of the group developing a crude nuclear device. The Rob Silberman Commission, put together by President Bush, said in its report, The U.S. intelligence community has assessed that Al-Qaeda was capable of fabricating at least a crude nuclear device if it could obtain the requisite nuclear material. And even Vice President of the United States Dick Cheney warned, The biggest threat we face now, as a nation, is the possibility of terrorists ending up in the middle of one of our cities with deadlier weapons than have ever before been used against us. Biological agents or a nuclear weapon, or a chemical weapon of some kind, to be able to threaten the lives of hundreds of thousands of Americans. End quote. Warren Buffett, the Wall Street financial magnate, said, We're going to have something in the way of a major nuclear event in this country. It will happen. Whether it will happen in 10 years, or 10 minutes, or 50 years, it's virtually a certainty. These men are clearly aware that there is coming an unbelievable holocaust of fire and brimstone on some American cities. They are getting themselves prepared for it. How about you? They know where they are going to go when the time comes. How about you? They are worldly men. They don't know prophecy like you and I do, but they can see what is coming. They think they know what they have to do to prepare. But do they? You know for certain what you have to do to prepare. But are you? But don't think that if it happens in New York that it won't affect those of you living in San Francisco or Sydney. Don't think that if there is a major nuclear event in this country that it will not affect the lifestyle of all who live in the developed world. You may not have telephones, internet, or any other form of communication with those you love. Transportation, such as air travel, trucking, and rail will be disrupted. Food will likely become scarce, and the financial markets would likely collapse. These men know what is going to happen, but they don't know what to do about it. Al-Qaeda's American Hiroshima plan is going to be devastating, more devastating than we can imagine. There is another thing to think about. If there is a nuclear attack on the United States, let's say, for example, in Los Angeles, the nuclear fallout will probably affect the whole United States, or at least until the radiation dwindles down to almost nothing. Arizona and New Mexico would probably experience quite a lot of fallout. If Chicago was hit with a nuclear bomb, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, and New England would suffer fallout as well as parts of southeastern Canada. The extent would depend on, the number of, on a number of factors, including the wind direction and the height to which radioactive particles 
would rise in the air. It is very easy in all its all-too-real war with the West. Once nuclear armaments are inside the target country, whether, you, whether the United States, Britain, Australia, Canada, or wherever, for them to be carried into a large city marked for destruction. It is already believed that Al-Qaeda has at least two in the United States right now. It may have them in other countries as well, for it is also reported that they have in the range of 40 nuclear devices in their possession. One of the ways they have brought them into the United States is by smuggling them through Mexico and across the almost wide-open border. Another way is in shipping containers. The United States does not have the facilities or personnel to inspect all shipping containers. In fact, they only inspect a small percentage of them on average. Though radioactivity detection devices have been developed, they are not very sophisticated and they aren't deployed in very many places. It is likely that this is another way to get nuclear devices into the United States and perhaps most countries. Interestingly, the expertise for nuclear bombs apparently comes from one of America's allies, Pakistan. Supposedly, this friend of the United States, according to the Asia Times, June 4, 2004, has protected Dr. Abdul Qadir Khan and, and other top-level nuclear scientists that have been helping Osama bin Laden obtain and maintain nuclear weapons. He is being protected by the Pakistani government, and not even the CIA can approach him, according to WorldNetDaily.com. Yet the U.S. must keep a good relationship with Pakistan if they intend to continue the war on terrorism. CNN reported that as early as 2002, there had been arrests of some of al-Qaeda operatives in the Philippines, with some of the high-level explosives needed to make devastating bombs. Even the Europeans are preparing for a nuclear attack. Fox News Channel on May 4, 2004, reported that the European Union, in Brussels, simulated an attack using video projections and computer displays in which 40,000 people were killed. Former U.S. Senator Sam Nunn helped organize it. He said preventing al-Qaeda from getting its hands on such material was the best chance of stopping it from building a bomb. Fox News reported, it's well within al-Qaeda's operational capabilities to recruit the technical expertise needed to build a crude nuclear device, he said. The hard part is getting the nuclear material, but we do not make it nearly hard enough. Javier Solana is the European Union's security chief, and he attended the simulations along with other top leaders and security officials. The threat of catastrophic terrorism is not confined to the United States or Russia or the Middle East, he said. The new terrorist movements seem willing to use unlimited violence and cause massive casualties. 
And that's from the CNN report. It was the collapse of the Soviet Union that gave the terrorists the best opportunity to acquire nuclear material. Until then, it was not easy to obtain because it was highly controlled. One wonders if President Reagan and John Paul II realized that their joint efforts to destabilize communism and change the world would make the world a much more dangerous place. One also wonders what type of long-range planning goes on behind the scenes in places like the Vatican. Could there be those that know that terrorism plays to the political advantage of the papacy as the great peacemaker? Without war, the Vatican could not make peace. Listen to this interesting statement from the Pen of Inspiration. It is from Last Day Events, page 131 and 2. As we approach the last crisis, it is a vital moment that harmony and unity exist among the Lord's instrumentalities. The world is filled with storm and war and variance. Yet under one head, the papal power, the people will unite to oppose God in the person of his witnesses. This union is cemented by the great apostate. In other words, it is really in the Vatican's best interest for there to be war and variance. This deserves an explanation. In a world where there is only one political superpower, the United States, and only one religious superpower, the Vatican, and in a world where the two work very closely together, war is in the interests of both of them. First, because the Vatican can be the peacemaker, and second, because the United States uses Vatican influence to achieve its political ends, in a similar way that medieval nations use the Vatican for their own purposes. And because the U.S. is capable of supporting the Vatican's agenda, both politically and militarily, the Vatican is being very open and conciliatory to mainstream Islam, but it also recognizes that radical Islam is going to give it the opportunity it needs to work more closely with mainstream Islam and the Western nations of the world who think they need the advantages that a close Vatican alliance brings them. The entity that gains the most out of all of this war and violence is the Vatican. Once the Soviet Union collapsed in 1989, Al-Qaeda has had an opportunity to purchase on the black market nuclear weaponry that it could use in terrorism. This is much easier than trying to build one's own nuclear devices. As early as 1998, the Arabic media was reporting that bin Laden was spending millions of dollars trying to obtain nuclear weapons. William Robert Johnston of the JohnstonArchive.net observed that Arabic media reported activities including hiring nuclear scientists from Turkmenistan and Iran, offering money to Chechens and Russian smugglers for nuclear material and suitcase nuclear bombs, attempting to set up an infrastructure for constructing nuclear weapons. There are numerous reports of concerns about the whereabouts of nuclear bombs and devices in the former Soviet republics. Now, instead of being under 
a centralized control, they are dispersed and unaccounted for. Even in the interviews with Time Magazine and ABC News in 1998, Osama bin Laden stated that the acquisition of nuclear weapons in defense of Muslims is a religious duty. He also said hostility toward America is a religious duty, and we hope to be rewarded for it by God. End quote. And in May of that year, bin Laden issued a statement entitled The Nuclear Bomb of Islam under the banner of the International Islamic Front for Fighting Jews and Crusaders, in which he stated that it is the duty of Muslims to prepare as much force as possible to terrorize the enemies of God. How soon would a nuclear attack on America happen? In a Fox News Channel report dated July 22, 2005, Juval Aviv, a counterterrorism expert, told Fox News, I predict, based primarily on information that is floating in Europe and in the Middle East, that an event is imminent and around the corner here in the United States. It could happen as soon as tomorrow, or it could happen in the next few months, 90 days at the most. That is a pretty serious statement by a person who is in close contact with the relevant information. It is time to get our lives right with God. It is time to pray for victory over sin and act upon our prayers. It is time to move to the country if you're not already there. It is time to pray that God will send His angels to protect you and learn to claim His promises. But Al-Qaeda is not the only threat of war. North Korea has openly claimed that it has nuclear weapons and that it has the capability to deliver them to the United States cities on the West Coast and that it is willing to use them. It also threatened to restart its nuclear weapons production facilities. Though there are mixed signals from North Korea, it remains a viable threat. And from the G2 intelligence bulletin of worldnetdaily.com, we learn that Russia is building an enormous underground bunker in the Ural Mountains. The bunker is a secret facility that is apparently going to be an underground command and control stru structure in the event of nuclear war. President Vladimir Putin boasted last year that Russia had successfully tested a new strategic missile system that U.S. defenses would be incapable of stopping due to its maneuverability. And on August 18, 2005, the Russians and the Chinese began a joint training mission in China, including substantial war games with long-distance bombers, amphibious assault training, cruise missile attacks on sea targets, and anti-submarine warfare. For what purpose? China has always claimed that Taiwan must be repatriated to mainland China. The United States has always stood in its way. China needs Russia's help to make sure that there isn't going to be much U.S. resistance. With Russia an ally of the United States, it will be very difficult for the U.S. to interfere if China attempts to atta an attack on Taiwan. 
The Chinese have indicated that they are willing to go to nuclear war to achieve their objectives. If and when America commits itself to defending Taiwan, China realizes that it will have to go to war with the United States. Recently, a Chinese military official, Zhu Shenghu, commented that American involvement in the battle for Taiwan would call for a nuclear strike on the U.S. China knows that would mean the destruction of some Chinese cities in consequence. Zhu Shenghu said that the People's Republic of China is prepared for the, the destruction of all their cities east of Xi'an and that the Americans had better be ready for hundreds of their cities to be destroyed as well. China's philosophy of war has not changed. Iran is another threat to international stability. Iran's new president, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, has been identified by at least six U.S. hostages as a ringleader in the 1979 U.S. embassy takeover, reported the G2 Intelligence Bulletin. As mayor of Tehran, he openly fostered and sponsored suicide bombers. After his election, he made at least two television appearances and spoke in praise of the art of martyrdom. Here is a man who is at war with the West. Now he is president of Iran. Imagine that. On the heels of his election, Iran restarted its nuclear activities. The New York Times reported that Iran has admitted to deceiving atomic commission inspectors for 17 years about many of its activities. The European Union is very concerned that Iran is pursuing nuclear weapons and has been in negotiations with Iran over the matter. Iran rejected the proposals of the EU, reported the Times. It is not hard to imagine what Iran will do with nuclear weapons capability, especially under its new president, who said, Allah willing, Islam will conquer all the mountaintops of the world. Islam is also at war much closer to Europe. The G2 Bulletin reported on August 18, 2005, that as the war against jihadi terrorism rages in Iraq and Afghanistan, militant Islam goes unchallenged in a U.S. battlefield of the 1990s. The immediate victims of the jihad in Kosovo are the minority of 210,000 Christians who find themselves on the short end of the stick after the U.S. and NATO forces interceded on behalf of the Muslim Albanian Kosovo Liberation Army. The problems in Kosovo remain unresolved and are getting worse, the G2 reported. A major danger to security and therefore a problem for all those involved with the U.S.-led war on terrorism derives from Islamic militants moving with full force into the vulnerable province. In essence, the Muslim Albanians have been destroying the homes and churches of Albanian Christians, causing tens of thousands of Kosovar Christians to flee their homes or live in fear of attacks and pogroms. 
Many of their churches have been replaced with mosques. The strong Islamization move in Kosovo is now attracting also the attention of intelligence and counter-terror experts, G2 reported. The situation in Kosovo is of great importance to those at the forefront of counter-terrorism. The province has become a magnet for jihadists who regard the Balkans as an important bridge on their way to West Europe's heart. Intelligence analysts believe the cities of Pristina and Prizren are part of a terror and narco-terror smuggling pipeline going across Serbia through the city of Uzice all the way to the Croatian border. From there, the way to Western Europe is short and relatively easy. Jihadists have become quite familiar with the area due to their involvement in the civil war, which brought an end to Yugoslavia as an integrated entity. They lean heavily on the support of Islamic radicals, even Albanian Muslim rank-and-file, in an elaborate plan to turn Kosovo into a jihadi base. The fact that most of the funds for the so-called Islamic revival of Kosovo come from Wahhabi Saudi Arabia and from the Iranian Shia Ayatollahs should be a wake-up call for the West, perhaps even more so to the U.S., which during the Clinton administration was the motivating force in bringing down Yugoslavia. The U.S., more than any other country, stood up for the protection of the Muslim minority in Yugoslavia, even though the KLA was organized by bin Laden. Summarizing a presentation on Capitol Hill, defense analyst Peterson said, The dividing line between the Christian and Islamic world moves closer to the European Union, and we are at great risk of tolerating what should not be tolerated, in order to buy some peace in our time. What this is saying is that Islam wants access to Europe, particularly radical Islam. From there they can launch more terror and mayhem in an effort to conquer the West. Please note that again, in spite of a delicate and careful effort by the Bush administration, Pope Benedict XVI, and others to describe the war against radical Islam as opposed to Islam in general, Muslims apparently don't make the same distinction. They are focused on conquering so-called Christian cultures and Jews. Let us continue to watch and pray, my brothers and sisters, as the world becomes more and more unstable. We are seeing Jesus' words fulfilled in a most shocking and profound way. Listen to this famous statement from the pen of Ellen White. It is found in Testimonies, Volume 9, page 11. The days in which we live are solemn and important. The Spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. Plagues and judgments are already falling upon the despisers of the grace of God. The calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society, the alarms of war are portentous. They forecast approaching events of the greatest magnitude. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes are soon to take place in our world, 
and the final movements will be rapid ones. Here is another very important one from Prophets and Kings, page 278, with a special warning for us. God's message for the inhabitants of the earth today is, Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Matthew 24, 44. The conditions prevent prevailing in society, and especially in the great cities of the nations, proclaim in thunder tones that the hour of God's judgment is come, and that the end of all things earthly is at hand. We are standing on the threshold of the crisis of the ages. In quick succession, the judgments of God will follow one another. Fire and flood and earthquake, with war and bloodshed, we are not to be surprised at this time by events both great and decisive, for the angel of mercy cannot remain much longer to shelter the impenitent. But most important of all is this statement from Great Controversy, page 614. It speaks of the time that is soon to arrive on planet Earth. When Jesus leaves the sanctuary, darkness covers the inhabitants of the Earth. In that fearful time, the righteous must live in the sight of a holy God without an intercessor. The restraint which has been upon the wicked is removed, and Satan has entire control of the finally impenitent. God's long-suffering has ended. The world has rejected His mercy, despised His love, and trampled upon His law. The wicked have passed the boundary of their probation. The Spirit of God, persistently resisted, has been at last withdrawn. Unsheltered by divine grace, they have no protection from the wicked one. Satan will then plunge the inhabitants of the earth into one great final trouble. As the angels of God cease to hold in check the fierce winds of human passion, all the elements of strife will be let loose. The whole world will be involved in ruin more terrible than that which came upon Jerusalem of old. My friends, we are facing a terrible conflict. The world is about to be cast into great turmoil. It will be very surprising and horrifying to those that know not the inner peace of victory in Jesus Christ. Do you want His saving power in your life? Do you want His righteousness to cover you? Do you want His protection during the tremendous upheavals this world is about to experience? I pray that you do. I pray that you are making the necessary decisions about your spiritual destiny. I pray that you are putting out of your life anything that is working against the instructions of the God of heaven. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are not surprised by the news of what is going to take place very soon in this world of ours, as the Holy Spirit is withdrawn from it, and Satan is allowed to plunge the world into the final scenes of the great controversy. Please, Lord, help us to turn everything over to Jesus. Let us 
give up our sins and live for Jesus. Let us help our families and our children to focus upon the spiritual principles that Christ wants to bring to us and put within us. Cover us with the shadow of thy wing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So dear to my heart is the promise of God, a home with the pure and blessed, where earth we repeal grim strangers here below. We'll Yeah.